It's Tuesday, April 13th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. With me today, Alicia Alfieri. Thanks for being here. Delighted to be here. We have a look ahead at earnings season. We're going to talk travel. We're going to talk about the latest in the chip industry. But real quick, Alicia, I feel like we have to start with the just for a moment with the big headline of the morning, which is Johnson & Johnson. Uh, for those who haven't heard the news, the Food and Drug Administration is asking states to temporarily halt using J&J's COVID-19 vaccine after six people in the United States developed a rare blood clotting disorder. The FDA said, and I'm quoting here, this is out of an abundance of caution. And when you look at the numbers, it, it really does seem like it's out of an abundance of caution. I'm not questioning the move, but uh, look, we're, we're a show about business and stocks. And when you look at shares of Johnson & Johnson down 1%, 2%, it, it seems like, at least in this moment, keeping in mind there's more information still to come to light, in this moment, this doesn't seem like a huge concern for the business of Johnson & Johnson. Yeah, I would agree. So, so Johnson and Johnson reported almost eighty-three billion dollars in revenues uh, in twenty twenty, and and none of that was related to the COVID vaccine. Uh, just remember, it was only uh, authorized for emergency use in February. So we haven't even seen what the impact of the vaccine uh, truly is. And additionally, I would say. You know the company has has several business segments. They have uh, consumer health, pharmaceuticals, and medical devices. But at the same time, their pharmaceuticals it, it represents about fifty five percent of their revenues in twenty twenty. So they do have a lot of skin in the game here um, in in pharma. Um, so so we'll see. Um, I do think that in terms of the vaccination effort as a whole for the U.S., uh, the White House came out and said that they don't believe that this will really impact uh, the plan too much to get um, everybody vaccinated. So they, they estimate that it's less than 5% of shots um, that the J&J uh, vaccine has, has given um, the vaccination efforts. Yeah, I saw a comment from um, one of the leaders in New York State saying, hey, if you have an appointment today, keep your appointment, because if you were going to get the Johnson & Johnson shot, we, like, we've got the supply with Moderna and Pfizer. And you're right, I, I saw a chart on CNBC this morning, and it was basically Johnson & Johnson, we're talking 7 million doses between Pfizer and Moderna. It's another 180 million doses on top of that. So, um, it, it seems like the right move, but it, it also seems, again, to quote the FDA, it's an abundance of caution. So, with that, we will move on to shares of NVIDIA, which are up this morning after the company unveiled its first server microprocessors. This is a market that Intel is in, and I will point out it is Intel's most lucrative market. So, that as we see shares of NVIDIA up a couple of percentage points, that's probably why we're seeing shares of Intel down a little bit today. How optimistic should NVIDIA shareholders be, and how worried should Intel be? Yeah, those are really good questions. Right now, I would say it's too soon for anyone to be worried um, in terms of Intel shareholders. Um, but I think NVIDIA shareholders can be a little excited. I just to just to back up a little to explain the, the overall picture here. So NVIDIA is is a leader in the graphics processing unit. And so that sounds like it's only in the gaming industry, but it's actually much more. So it's used across uh, high performance computing, data centers, and their chips are also used in, in AI. 
And so by stepping into the CPU market, they're definitely stepping into Intel's turf. I think right now, Intel holds about 90% of the market uh, for CPUs. Um, but there's a difference in the technology here. So it could get a little technical to explain. So <laughs> if you bear with me, I have I have an, an imagery that, <laughs> that we can think of here. So that, I, I need all the help I can get, Alicia. So, so bring bring the imagery. Okay. All right. So, so Intel, the CPU is super powerful. So let's think of them like a Hummer, right? So super powerful, fast, but like those gas guzzlers, they're not energy efficient, right? So that's, that's what they call the, the CISC CPUs. Now, when we look at the CPU that NVIDIA is looking to create with, with ARM, which is a company that they're, they're looking to acquire. So these are risk CPUs. I like to think of them as zippy little mini coopers. Okay, so they're fast, streamlined, more energy efficient uh, than, than the Hummer. And so where this uh, comes in handy is when you have a group of processors. So for the same amount of energy that a group of Intel processors use, so a group of those big, powerful Hummers, I could potentially, since this is still a long ways off, I don't think they're going to be released until 2023, but I could potentially pack in way more NVIDIA CPUs and it could be really fast and really efficient. But again, can't get too far ahead of ourselves. Can't write off Intel yet, right? They're a dominant player in this market. Um, but I think NVIDIA uh, CPUs, based on what we're seeing, they're supposed to be more energy efficient. Um, and they're also supposed to be faster, I think about 10 times faster than today's capabilities. But we're not going to really know until it's released in 2023. So I say, you know, temper down the, the, the fear for sure. And in the case of Intel, it's a quarter trillion dollar company, I would never go out of my way to bet against Intel. But this is a company that's struggled for as dominant as they are, for as big as they are. They've struggled at various points in their history um, with different markets. And I, I get that people shouldn't necessarily be worried. That's probably an overstatement. It, it, they can't be happy. They just can't be happy that a company like NVIDIA is coming into this space. Agreed. And I do think that they, they probably saw this coming, right? With NVIDIA courting uh, ARM to acquire them. They really, I hope that they saw this coming and that they're they're doing something um, to be able to continue to, to be in this space. We've talked a lot on this show over the past six weeks or so about the, the great reopening. We've talked about airlines and cruise lines and live events companies. We haven't really talked about booking holdings that much. And uh, booking holdings got an upgrade this morning from Jefferies based on a rebound in global travel. And I know there are a lot of people who look at booking holdings uh, for as successful as that company has been. And for those unfamiliar, it's the parent company of Priceline and Booking.com. And for all the success they've had, this is yet another one of those companies that doesn't split their stock. So a share, a single share of Booking Holdings is $2,400. I totally understand anyone who looks at that and has sticker shock. From a business standpoint, how do you look at book, Booking Holdings? Sure. Well, I, I look at it as an, an interesting reopening play right now. Um, like you said, they have Booking.com, Priceline. They also have Kayak and OpenTable, right? And 
unfortunately, like a lot of the businesses in the hospitality and travel industry, they were definitely hurt by COVID. Uh, the revenues were down 55% year over year. Um, but an interesting thing that the, the company mentioned in their earnings report, travelers still booked 355 million room nights across their, their platforms in 2020. So that's still pretty incredible uh, for this company. Also, you know, when COVID hit, they worked really hard um, in terms of, of cutting non-essential costs. They also restructured uh, their business uh, to try to reflect this, this change in demand from COVID. So they decreased uh, headcount 23%. They also uh, paused uh, their, their share buyback. So, so they're doing smart things to be able to, to continue to uh, uh, actually, they they actually reported profits in 2020. I was I was pretty surprised to see that. So they had 59 million in net income. Um, pretty incredible considering COVID, right? It's still down substantially from 2019, which was 4.9 billion. So so I would say you know they're they're a fighter, definitely. Um, and and the good news is that we have bright spots in the horizon for them. Um, so the company recently talked about some of the promising trends that they saw in Israel, for example, right? So, so Israel has been a leader in getting their population vaccinated. So I think as of late March, they had, um, uh, 50% or more than 50% of their population fully vaccinated, which is pretty impressive. And the government started to really ease a lot of restrictions. And so what booking uh, holdings started to see was this increase in, in demand. So domestic bookings began to increase. They're estimating it was about a double digit uh, growth over 2019. So we see these interesting trends here in uh, the possibility of pent up demand for people who, you know, like you and I have been stuck at home and unable to travel. And so I think, you know, with the increased access to vaccines um, and, and with, with economies reopening and this pent up demand, I think, I think better days are ahead for, for booking holdings. Am I correct in assuming it is an asset for booking holdings that this is a global company? You know, there are a lot of businesses we talk about that are not only based here in the U.S., but they um, this is where their operations are. And so, as the U.S. economy goes, so goes the fate of those businesses. Am I correct in assuming that booking holdings with a foothold in North America, but also in Europe, that diversification helps get them through the next, let's call it 18 months? Because for as good as the trend lines look in places like the U.S. and Israel, there are plenty of countries where um, the trend lines are still pretty bad. Yeah, and that's that's actually a good point. The the diversification helps in some ways, um, but it, it could act also be a challenge, right? Depending on how different companies um, approach their vaccination efforts and how they reopen their own economies, right? But I but I think for for now, I think to to see those those bright spots glimmering on the horizon, I think I think it could be a strength than just relying on on domestic travel. I just want to remind the dozens of listeners, if you're ever looking for stock ideas beyond the ones that we talk about on this show, you can check out Motley Fool Stock Advisor. It is our flagship service. You'll get the stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner. You get their best buys now and a lot more. Just go to stockideas.fool.com. And yes, you get a 50% discount for being one of the dozens of listeners. Again, go to stockideas.fool.com. Later in the week, earnings season is going to 
kick off with uh, the big banks reporting. Uh, they go first, as they tend to do. Uh, I, I'm curious uh, what you're going to be watching this earnings season, whether it's a company or an industry. I mean, as a general, there are always stocks that I'm interested in. As a general trend, the thing I'm going to be watching is guidance, because I've been saying on this show for a while that I think this is the quarter where some companies are not going to offer guidance and they are going to get punished for it. I don't have any one particular company in mind, but I just think there there are enough positive trend lines with uh, the U.S. opening up that, unlike a year ago, when every company under the sun was saying, we're not offering guidance because there's too much uncertainty, and all of us cut them slack for doing so, it's a year later, and I, I think um, there are a lot of people on Wall Street who are not going to be cutting slack for companies not offering guidance. Anyway, that's what I'm going to be watching as a general trend, but whether it's a trend, an industry, or an individual company, what are you curious to see this earnings season? I think that you've picked the best trend to to look at. I'm, I'm, I'm a little jealous because you've... <laughs> You've definitely picked the the best thing to look for. I think it'll be it'll be interesting to see the kind of guidance that we that we do receive. Uh, you've mentioned in the past this idea of of management potentially uh, sandbagging with some of their guidance, and so when we get that guidance, I think it'll be interesting to see. Um, how useful, how useful it is. But I think that you're right. I think we're going to continue to see more and more companies give that guidance. Um, and, and, and that'll be definitely helpful. I think that's also a, a sign of, of optimism uh, to come. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm a big nerd, so I'm going to be looking at a lot of companies. Uh, something, something that's come on my radar uh, recently that I'm really interested in is um, Pinterest. So you don't know how familiar you are, um, but it's, a, it's like a visual search engine um, that says that it, it inspires its users to take positive action. And it's one of the most unique social media experiences that you could have, right? So in, in most cases, when we're on social media, we're looking to connect with friends. And when we get ads, they're really annoying, right? And they, <laughs> they interrupt your social media experience. But for Pinterest, it's actually part of the experience and it could enhance your experience. So so let's say you're searching for, so we're all working from home. Let's say you're you're looking for stuff for your, your home office or my favorite word, your clothis, which is a no, that's not a word. Office. It is a word. It's a word. Clo- I'm sorry. I'm I'm gonna derail your 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 my intelligent rant. analysis for just one moment. Clothis? Yes. A Which closet is, office. A closet office. Okay. <laughs> I love I, it. I, I won't be using that word. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. But maybe. <laughs> maybe in the future. I don't have a clothis because I my closets are, are are full, right? But anyway, so so let's say you're looking for ideas of revamping your clothis <laughs> or your office. You could use Pinterest uh, to search for ideas. But now with the, the advertiser tie-in, you know, let's say I see a neat corkboard, right? So I can be able to, to go from visual inspiration to action by shopping and, and for some of these small businesses, hopefully purchasing. Um, that those those items and so Pinterest has has partnered with Shopify and and Etsy, um, so 
two other really interesting companies, uh, e-commerce companies. And so it'll be interesting uh, for me to see uh, for the first quarter, hey, you know, how is Pinterest doing? Um, so they're a, a social media platform. So for those companies, we always want to look at, hey, what's the active user growth? Right? Are they attracting more members or, or what's the churn? Are they losing members? Um, also, I would say revenues. We always want to look at revenues to see if they're growing. And also, I would say um, for social media sites, especially Pinterest, how are they monetizing their their users? Is Are those trends going up or are they going down? So that is one of the companies uh, that I'll be looking at. It's interesting about Pinterest because there was a decent stretch of time where you could see the people in the media buying industry struggling with Pinterest as a platform. I mean, the people who are controlling the ad budgets. And just as there is an adoption rate for any type of technology, there's also an adoption rate within the media buying industry. Um, we saw this with podcasts for a long time, where there were companies with large budgets that they were spending on you know, digital platforms, they were spending on radio, television, that sort of thing, and they, they couldn't really figure out podcasts. And it seems like Pinterest struggled with that, but I think they, they passed that uh, point a couple of years ago. It really seems like this is one of those platforms that, again, the people controlling the purse strings of the ad budgets um, are embracing Pinterest, and and that that sort of goes to sort of the, the not only validating the business but rewarding shareholders ultimately. Agreed, and and what's really interesting uh, about Pinterest and and their almost partnership with advertisers is that I think it's a really unique opportunity for small and medium sized businesses. But then also uh, what Pinterest does is because they have access to all of the social media data and things that people are searching for, you know, what they do is they compile all of that information into a trends report. And so they forecast what they think is going to happen. And what that allows um, advertisers, small companies, medium sized companies to do is to be aware of the trends before they get really big. Right. So they could they could. Um, sell more items, right? Which is super important. So it's like this really great virtuous cycle that's just, it's so exciting to watch. So I'm excited to see what happens uh, for them in, in the first quarter. And I think they're gonna report uh, sometime in early May. So. Alicia Alfieri, really appreciate you being here. Thanks. So glad to be here. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show's mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.